Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm and Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you. In the second segment, we are going to be joined by Danny Burke. He does a great job with VSEN. He's out hosting a new show in prime time called Rush Hour. I believe that that is 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific and that is 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern. Well, I hope I got that right, but Danny's going to tell you a little bit later. He also does some work when it comes to the Bet on Chicago show out there in the state of Illinois and so much more. We're going to be talking to him just about what we've noticed in Major League Baseball so far this year. How sometimes the result that you get when it comes to betting is not reflective of how the game actually went and so much more. Then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the Wednesday MLB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you like to answer, fire it into my Twitter timeline at GRS41. If you send these via DM, well, those letters DM to me mean does not matter. Did not get in any today, but let's take a look back at everything that we noticed from Tuesday when it comes to the results. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened? yesterday. Let's go around the bases and find out. I don't think anyone thought that the Milwaukee Brewers had scored two runs or fewer in each other last five games were going to blow up Jack Flaherty the way that they did. 
18-3 the final in this one for Captain Jack Flaherty. He was captain of the ship of giving up runs. He gave up nine over the course of three innings, two home runs. He now has a 5.52 ERA. That is very strange to see. And it was just bad for everyone that entered into this game. For the St. Louis Cardinals, as you had Jake Woodford come in for one and a third innings. He gave up five runs. Does Bill Chris Matt actually did a good job holding down the four for three innings, giving up one run. And then Rob Kaminsky gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of two-thirds of an inning. He did not make Mr. Frank Kaminsky proud. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that won one of six men in scoring position as Brad Anderson. Solid start. He goes six innings, giving up two runs in the process. And then from there, Corey Knable and Ray Black. We have a Ray Black sighting, ladies and gentlemen. They were both able to toss an inning for Black. He did give up a run, but for the Brewers, Ryan Braun goes deep. His fifth home run in the campaign. Christian Yelich is 10th. He's out hitting above the Mendoza line. You've got Daniel Vogel back going yard. His first home run as a Milwaukee Brewer. And Kessin Yura said, hip hip Yura to his 12th home run of the season. So that was good for the Milwaukee Brewers. And then you had an even bigger score out there in the state of New York. Yankees take it to the Toronto Blue Jays by kind of 26. This was not a good start for Taiwan Walker, but it wasn't necessarily his fault. He gives up seven runs while recording five outs, but there were two badly played balls by Derek Fisher. No, not the former NBA player, but I think the former NBA player could have done a better job out there in the outfield. As a result, Walker winds up giving up a pair of bombs. Luke Voigt winds up hitting two for the Yankees. His 17th and 18th of the season, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, you had Mr. Yamaguchi, Sean Yamaguchi, who comes over from the MPB. He somehow did worse than Taiwan Walker. He records four outs, and he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. Anthony K winds up coming in. He gives up two runs in two innings. Santiago Espinal had to come in for an inning, and Ryan Baruki winds up giving up two runs in an inning for the Toronto Blue Jays. They were actually able to get a pair of home runs. Lords Gurriel's eighth home run of the season. That came off of Davey Garcia and Vladito. Jr. Vlad Guerrero was able to go deep off of him as well as for Garcia. He winds up being able to go seven innings in this game. He does give up those two home runs, giving up three runs overall, and then Michael King winds up giving up three runs and two innings out of the bullpen, but the Yankees certainly had this one in hand as, along with those void home runs, Gary Sanchez gets his eighth home run of the season, Aaron Hicks his fifth, DJ LeMahieu turn it up his seventh, and you also had Clint Frazier being able to go deep for his sixth home run of the season, so certainly a good result there. The other New York team, well, they didn't have so much offense. They wind up losing to the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of four to one as Jake Arrieta, his best start of the year. Five and a third innings, he gives up one run. And then from there, the bullpen looked very good as Hector Neris, along with Jojo Romero and Tommy Hunter, a combined three and two-thirds innings, they each give up a hit a piece, but they weren't able to give up any runs. C.D. Gregorius, we go euphorious for his eighth home run of the season. That came off of Rick Purcell. And for Purcell, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. He gives up four runs over the course of six innings. Then from there, the bullpen of Mr. Edwin Diaz and Justin Wilson were both able to give a scoreless inning. But for the Mets, 12 men left on base. They wind up getting 11 hits, one run. Just nothing you can do about that. A pair of teams that did pretty much just as bad, if not worse, of being able to drive them in. The Detroit Tigers and the Kansas City Royals. Tigers wind up getting a 6-0 win as they were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. You wind up having Mr. Miguel Cabrera going deep for his sixth home run of the campaign, and then Willie Castro winds up being able to get his fourth, but this is still a team that they wind up going 3 of 17 with runners in scoring position, 11 left on base, and for Matthew Boyd, his best start in an eon. Five and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. He gives up four walks in the process. And then from there, Jose Cicerno, Buck Farmer, along Brian Garcia, are able to provide three and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball with both of these guys giving up at least one at a piece. For the Royals, they wind up surrounding 10 men on base themselves, 0 of 6 with men in scoring position. And for Jacob Junis, it was just a no-good, terrible, bad, bad, bad start. It was supposed to be in this one, I believe, the Duff man, Danny Duffy. He winds up coming in at the last minute. For Junis, he gets seven outs. He gives up five runs in the process. And then the bullpen was solid. The only bullpen run that was given up was by Matt Harvey. 
And the fact that he only gave up one run was a Herculean feat as Chance Adams, Kyle Zimmer, along Tyler Zuber, and Jake Newberry were able to come in and they were able to do a good job of being able to lend some relief. A team that also did a good job of being able to lend some relief, the Atlanta Braves, as they wind up taking down the Baltimore Orioles by kind of 5-1. to one. For the Braves, they too had a tough time being able to drive them in. They leave 11 men on base, but they were able to get a big home run out of Adam Duvall. His 15th home run in the campaign that came off of Thomas Shellman that was able to get him up early and often. Uskar Yanoa. You know what? This was a good start for him. Only 49 pitches, but four strong innings. He doesn't give up a run. And then from there, Darren O'Day, Will Smith, along with Chris Martin, Shane Green, all go a scoreless inning. Mark Melanson might end up giving up a run, but the game was in hand by then. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Shelming winds up giving up two runs over the course of three and a third innings. And then they had to look to their bullpen for a lot of innings. Asher Wojciechowski and Cole Solzer both have to go two innings. And for Wojciechowski, he gives up three runs in the process. Trey Lankins was able to give the team a solid inning. And then you wind up going with, for two outs, Mr. Paul Fry. And for the Baltimore Orioles, 0-5 with men in scoring position. Not a lot doing for them on this night. Not a lot doing for the Minnesota Twins once again as they wind up losing to the Southsiders for a second straight night. 6-2, the final for the Minnesota Twins. 0-5 with men in scoring position. They leave six men on base. I believe that they have now left 21 men on base over their last two games and scored three runs. That is absolutely terrible. Brian Buxton was able to get his ninth home run the campaign. Almost should have had his 10th home run the season if you looked at the ninth inning from Monday, but with that said, he does have nine. Randy Dobnik, regression continues to set in from now as a 405 ERA. He gives up four runs over the course of four and a third innings. Bullpen from there was solid. Tyler Clipper gives up one run in one and two thirds innings at Jorge Alcala in his second straight night of relief. Gives up one run over the course of two innings, but for the Chicago White Sox, Dane Dunning continues to get her done. He gives up two runs, but only one of which was earned over the course of seven innings, including that long ball to Byron Buxton. And and then from there, Jace Fry, Matt Foster wind up cleaning up the final two innings. And for the Chicago White Sox, pair of home runs. Tim Anderson, his eighth home run campaign. And then you have James McCann going deep for his sixth as those both came off of the bullpen. As the White Sox themselves, just three of 11 with men in scoring position. A team that was able to generate quite a bit of offense. That'd be the... Chicago Cubs as they wind up taking down the Cleveland Indians by kind of 6-5 of for the Cleveland Indians. Things seem to be going a little bit south whenever Carlos Carrasco is out there on the mound. He winds up giving up a home run. Three total runs over the course of six innings. James Karinczak wound up giving up a run in the bullpen. Phil Mayton an unearned run. And then Oliver Perez was unable to get the job done as he winds up giving up a run as well. But for the Cleveland Indians, offense was actually okay in this one. Francisco Lindor gets his eighth home run in the campaign. As for the Chicago Cubs, Hugh Darvish was able to give the team seven strong innings. He did give up three runs. And Jeremy Jeffries Winds up giving up that home run to Lindor that wound up causing the Cubs to win this game in the ninth, but... For the Cubbies, you were able to get a home run from Javi Baez, the seventh of the season. Certainly has been a long trying year for him, but for the Cubs, 3-5 with Ben in scoring position, they were able to take care of business at home, and they were able to do a little bit better out there in the NL Central, one that is very wide open for the number two spot, and a team that is fighting for that two spot. That'd be the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they were on to 4-1 to win. For the Cincinnati Reds, they were able to get a nice long ball in this game from Tucker Barnard, his fourth of the campaign, as they came off Joe Musgrove. Musgrove now 0-5 with a 574 ERA as he winds up going five innings, giving up four runs. He did get eight punch outs. And then from there, Derek Holland, two scoreless innings and break Cedarland. It was his first ever appearance. He winds up giving the team a scoreless inning, but for the Pirates, one of seven with men in scoring position. They are the poopy Pirates for a reason, as they are now 14 and 33, the league's worst record in regards to wins percentage. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Michael Lorenzen, his first start in quite a while, five strong, giving up one run. And then from there, TJ Antone, Lucas Sims, Amir Garrett, they come out of the bullpen. They give up a combined one hit, no earned runs. And the Cincinnati Reds all of a sudden have themselves a four game win streak going. The Tampa Bay Rays have themselves 
a couple wins as well as the Washington Nationals are starting up a losing streak. 6-1 in the final in this one for the Nationals. They have a terrible with runners in scoring position all year, and it continued. They go 0-7 in this game. Anibal Sanchez, he's been terrible all year long. It continued in this game. He winds up giving up six runs over the course of four and a third innings. To the surprise of many, they wind up trotting out there a couple of less than trustworthy bullpen arms. Ben Bramer winds up coming in for a scoreless inning for the Washington Nationals. Aaron Barrett winds up being able to give the team five outs without giving up a run, and then Ryan Harper was able to do a solid job as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. It was John with two S's, Curtis, coming in for the open for Ryan Yarbrough, and Yarbrough, as a bulk guy, gives up one run over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Curtis, along with everyone else that came into this game, when it comes to the bullpen, Aaron Loop, along with Nick Anderson and Ryan Sheriff, were able to go scoreless. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, a lot of stolen bases in this game. I believe that they wind up getting five stolen bases, so that's not something that you see very often, but they themselves, 3 of 14 with men in scoring position, though. Nate Lowe was able to get a long ball in this one. That is his third of the campaign for the Miami Marlins. Total power outage in this one. The Marlins had played 11 out of their lives, 14 games to the over. That came to an end as they wind up not generating a single run off of Boston. 2-0 the final. Tanner Houck, a tremendous first shot for him. Seven strikeouts over the course of five innings, obviously scoreless. Dylan Covey, don't think anyone saw this coming. Two scoreless innings, Ryan Brazier and Matt Barnes were able to close the door from there. For the Boston Red Sox, they were able to do a solid job going two of eight with runners in scoring position. Obviously, they wound up finally getting some pitching in for Sandy Alcantara. Not a bad start here. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. Fair to call him a tough luck loser. Richard Blyer gives up an unearned run, and then from there, James White, Ryan Stanek, along with a little bit of a new reliever, Johan Quizada wind up coming in, and they wind up being able to close the door But for the Miami Marlins. Six men left on base, 0-3 with men in scoring position. Their hot run of offense certainly came to an end on Tuesday. A team who has had a hot run of offense, and it is going to be continuing, that'd be the LA Angels. I believe that they are the top over team in all of baseball. They wind up losing to the Arizona Diamondbacks by a kind of 9-8, but it wasn't necessarily because of their offense. Now, Madison Bumgarner, a start that you would like to forget, and why he was left out there this long was absolutely insane. He goes five and a third innings, giving up 13 hits, eight runs, all of which weren't including two home runs, and then the bullpen from there doesn't give up a single hit. I mean, what is going on with Tori Lovello? I mean, how did you leave him in there that long? He should have never been in that spot, but with that said, the Arizona Diamondbacks put him in a good spot because they were able to play quite a few long balls off of Mr. Julio Tauran as Carson Kelly goes deep off of him. His fourth of the campaign, you have Cole Calhoun going deep twice. One was off of Tauran, one was off the bullpen. His 10th and 11th of the season, the bullpen also should have one up to David Peralta. His fourth of the season, and Tauran gave one up to Dalton Varsho, his third of the campaign for Julio Tauran. He now is in 890 ERA, giving up three home runs, four total runs over the course of two innings. Heath Milner gives up three runs over the course of an inning. Cam Bedrosian gives up one run in two and two-thirds innings. Matt Andrees winds up giving up a run as well, but for the Angels, they also showed some fight. Justin Upton was able to get his sixth home run in the campaign, and Jared Walsh also was sixth. Both came off of Madison Bumgarner, and then when Madison Bumgarner came out of the game, go figure, the scoring wound up dying. Not a lot of scoring out there in Coors Field as the Rockies wind up being able to get a 3-1 win over the Oakland A's. For the A's, just not a lot doing for this team. 0-9 with runners in scoring position. Tough one for Sean Manea. He gives up three runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings out there in Coors Field. He does give up a home run, and then from there, Yasmero Petit and Lou Trevino. A combined two and a third innings from them of scoreless baseball before the Colorado Rockies. The big hit in this one was out of their backup catcher in Elias Diaz. He winds up being able to go deep for his first home run of the campaign, and for 
Antonio Sensatella, how about him being able to give this team some length? One run given up, complete game, nine innings. That's exactly what the doctor ordered for the Colorado Rockies, and that's exactly what they got. The Dodgers got the win that they were looking for over the San Diego Padres as well. A Padres team that entered into Tuesday, winning 66.6% of their home games, 3-1 to the final. For the LA Dodgers, you had Edwin Rios being able to go yard for his fourth home in the campaign, and Justin Turner down for what is back in the fold, and as a result, 2-2 of two with runners in scoring position. No wasted opportunities there for Tony Gonsolin. He did not give the Padres too many scoring opportunities. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Caleb Ferguson, Blake Tryon, Kenley Jansen are able to close the door. Jansen got into a little bit of danger in the ninth inning, but Padres were unable to convert. As for the Padres, they wind up leaving six men on base. They really couldn't get much generated until that ninth inning. And for Zach Davies, he winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings. Another solid start giving up that home run, but he winds up taking the loss. Then from there, Tim Hill, Emilio Pagan, Craig Saman, all a scoreless inning for this team. And a team that was held relatively scoreless on Tuesday. That would be the Walker Texas Rangers as they lose again to the Houston Astros by a count of 4-1. to one. For the Texas Rangers, not a lot doing for this team. A grand total for it's Jose Urquidy was terrific. Seven strong innings giving up one run. Brooks Raley and Ryan Presley were able to close it out from there. And for the Houston Astros, a pair of home runs lifted them to victory. George Springer, his 10th of the campaign that came off of Kyle Cody. And then you wind up having Martin Maldonado, someone that's finally putting up some offensive numbers. He goes deep off of one of the main bullpen pieces of the Texas Rangers in Jimmy Hergert for his fifth home run of the season. And then you take a look at Cody, who gives up one run in his start over the course of three innings. Bullpen from there, a combined five innings, giving up three runs in the process. And for the Rangers, this is now a team that's 17-31, and 31, and they've won just five games ever since that San Diego Padres Grand Slam off of the bat of Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's what we all noticed from MLB Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Wednesday. Let's get the thoughts of Danny Burke just on the ups and downs of baseball betting, what we're seeing in the NL Central race, and so much more. And that's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to be joined by this guest as we go to the Chicagoland area. This is a man that works for the Vegas Sands and Information Network. Though he's not in Vegas, he's actually currently in the lovely city of Chicago. He's currently doing this show, Rush Hour, for the Vegas Ads and Information Network. That is at Bet Rivers out there in the city of Chicago, state of Illinois. And right now, he's living with his parents, but obviously for very good reason. It certainly saves on hotel expenses and everything like that. So I'm sure that the company does not mind it, but this guy does an absolutely terrific job with a little bit of everything. He also does the Bet on Chicago show for the Vegas Ads and Information Network, which you can also hear in the state of Illinois as it is Danny Burke joining me on the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Burke 5 Always great to have you aboard, my friend. How are you? Thank you, Greg. I appreciate the introduction, my friend. I am doing good. Excited to talk some baseball here with you. And we were kind of talking off air. The pros and cons of betting this sport over the long course of a season. <laughs> and man, it just goes up and down. And that's what makes you love it. But that's also what makes you pull your hair out at the same time. I am right there with you. We were talking about this a little bit off air. And I'm sure that so many people listening to this podcast can relate. When it seems like, ah, oh, I'm having some pretty decent luck. You have that for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, much like I've been getting, you just bet on teams, you bet on totals, and then it's like, oh, 22 men stranded on base by the Atlanta Braves. I take a look at the game on Tuesday between the Royals and the Tigers. I have the over in that game, 
and there winds up being a combined north of 20 men stranded on base. Teams go 3 of 23 with runners in scoring position. And in my opinion, those are the ones that hurt the worst. Because sometimes you'll have a team that has a big comeback and then they wind up blowing the lead and everything like that. But in my opinion, when you get those teams that they get men on base, they have opportunity after opportunity, it just hurts the worst because time and time again, you're being let down for one. And two, it's just like, you know what? My handicap wasn't bad. They just didn't wind up getting there. It's sort of like poker when it's like, all right, I've got pocket kings here and then you just run into aces. (laughs) It's pretty much exactly what it is, Greg. I mean, it is inevitable over the course, like I was saying, like over the course of a long season, especially with a sport like baseball. But those ones just sting so much worse because you're like, man, I would have just rather got my teeth kicked in almost and have to suffer that because you're right. It's like you did assess it right. You did handicap it correctly. Things just didn't fall your way. And it was kind of an anomaly. And that's what you see in the sport of baseball. So and especially in your situations where they're leaving 20 plus runners on base. That's killer, man. I feel for you. I'm right there with you, and it's just one of those things, too. Whenever you lay the run and a half on a run line in a baseball game, the last thing you want to see is that team win by one run. It's like, (laughs) all right, we either want them to win by two plus, or we want them to lose outright, because then if they lose outright, it's like, oh, if I would have taken the money line, I would have lost more juice. I actually feel a little bit smart in that I saved a little bit of money And at the same time, if they win by one run, it's like I should have just taken the money line as we do have Danny Burke joining me on the podcast. I just had to get you on there to vent for a couple minutes. So I appreciate you indulging in that. And something else that we're indulging ourselves with is just the baseball season in general. Things are really reaching a fever pitch. And right now we've got some very interesting things going on in the NL Central. The Chicago Cubs certainly should be in the playoffs. It looks like they're going to be getting the number one seed unless if something very, very strange happens. But the race for the number two seed has gotten very interesting as the Cincinnati Reds have gotten a couple wins over, have gotten a couple wins over the very, very helpless Pittsburgh Pirates. And we saw on Tuesday the absolute smackdown that the Brewers laid on the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't think that anyone saw the Brewers scoring north of two touchdowns against the St. Louis Cardinals considering they had scored two or fewer in each other last five games. But How do you take a look at this NL Central right now? Because I do feel like, as we've been talking about a little bit on both your podcast and my podcast, the Cardinals are certainly starting to run out of gas. And every time they don't get a quality start, especially from someone like Jack Flaherty, it puts them behind the eight ball, not just for the fact that they don't get the win on Tuesday, but now for future games as well. Their bullpen is spent, and now they're going to have to play a doubleheader on Wednesday against the Brewers. And I just don't know how this team is going to come back from being thrashed so badly. Yeah, Greg, you talk about that game where they just absolutely smacked down on the Cardinals. Now, that was a spot I would say I'm just, it piqued my interest because I was very close to pulling the trigger on the Brewers. I didn't end up doing it. Brett Anderson was the reason I kind of shied away in the end, but I saw them as a pretty sizable dog. And I was just like, you know, Jack Flaherty has really not been that solid this season. It's not the Flaherty that we're used to seeing. And of course, this Cardinals team, as we've talked about so many times, is going through a rough stretch and will continue to just because of all the games they have to make up for. Now, offensively, it's not the Cardinals that we're used to seeing in a regular season where they'll pick it up in the latter half. And maybe they do kind of have that come to fruition down toward this last stretch. But it's kind of hard to envision, especially with a team like the Brewers, who have such a good bullpen, a team like the Reds, who can pick it up offensively at any given moment and still have good starting pitching. I've talked about this earlier. The Cardinals a while back, and I'm a diehard Cubs fan. I I do think, and I did at the time, think they're going to win the division. But I did take the Cardinals just for a pure value-wise to win the division because I kind of assumed, yes, it's a different season, 
but perhaps once again you would see this Cardinals team pick it up toward the latter half and start getting hot once again. Could that happen? Certainly. But at this point, Greg, in a lot of these doubleheaders, especially in a, against a team like the Brewers, who may continue to get plus value as a dog because they've been slacking on offense, but remember how good their bullpen is, that could be a good betting opportunity against this Cardinals team down the stretch unless they start to get on that hot streak. But it remains to be seen as of this point. I'm right there with you. It certainly has been just a strange year in the NL Central in general. It seems like the Reds, who have done nothing but disappoint in 2020 up until now, they might be finally gaining a little bit of traction as well. So it certainly is very intriguing. We've got a lot of matinee games on Wednesday as well. One in which I think is going to be very interesting is the Oakland A's against the Colorado Rockies. This is one in which I'm seeing a total between 11 and a half and 12 on. And for the Colorado Rockies, they've actually been quite a good under team at home recently. It's just one of these things in which the Colorado Rockies, whether they're playing in Coors, whether they're playing on the road, or if they're playing in Pluto, it just seems like they have forgotten how to hit. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, this has been a team that has gotten some very good pitching. Mike Fires has an ERA of five for the year, but he's actually been much better ever since the Rockies start to the year. And Herman Marquez is a very interesting guy because a two and five record with a 435 ERA would indicate, ah, oh, he's not having a very good season. But if you wind up throwing out his just absolute debacle of a start against the Astros in which he gave up 10 runs in that start, he's actually had a really good year. I think it's so important for betters when you take a look at matchups like this, you take a look at the just raw numbers that you try to take into account. What we were talking about a little bit earlier with outliers, anomalies, what have you, because this is one in which I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the under on, because if you throw out that one bad start for Marquez, he has been pretty darn solid. And for Mike Fires, recently has really been able to pick it up as he's notoriously a slow starter. Yeah, I tend to shy away from totals at Coors unless I'm going to the under. I know that it's traditionally an over ballpark, but when it gets so high, like a 12, even a 12 and a half, sometimes 13, I just can't really convince myself to do that. With this pitching matchup, it is kind of interesting in the sense that Marquez is actually having a pretty solid year. You mentioned his ERA of 4.35, but his XFIP is really solid too, Greg. At about 3.91, and that's really the true telling that a lot of people like to look at for what your ERA should be. At least that's what I personally look at, too. So Marquez stacks up pretty well in that category. Fires on the other side has a higher one of 5.71. So I'd almost be a little bit siding with the Rockies straight up as the dog in this spot. The thing that always just kind of gets me a little bit bearish on is because you are going against the A's, even if their starting pitching doesn't help them too much, that offense is still very high-powered in the Rockies' offense. You're going to need them to get going early. So you talk about a slow start. The Rockies can get out to a fast one quick. I wouldn't mind maybe looking at a first five opportunity with this Rockies team or just overall in the game for a little bit of plus money as of now. That being if you trust Marquez and that Rockies offense. But I do think Marquez has the edge in this pitching matchup. And I think your first five look with the Rockies is good, not just because of the the reasons that you mentioned, but also keep in mind with the Oakland A's. I think that a lot of people, they get a little bit lazy when they evaluate these bullpens. And when you get Liam Hendricks, Lou Trevino, along with guys like Jake Diekman and company, that's one of the best bullpens out there in baseball. The LA Dodgers have been number one when it comes to bullpen ERA, but the A's are right there. The Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Indians, they certainly have been good teams when it comes to the bullpen. And I do think that there are certain teams in which you want to be taking them in the first five, like the Philadelphia Phillies. They've just been a complete nightmare when it comes to the bullpen. You certainly have seen that with a couple other teams. The Cubs have really hunkered down, but we remember at the beginning of the year, they were a team that you really don't trust in. I know that in recent years, the Brewers have been really a full game team. If you are someone that 
You like to diversify between first five and full game just because Josh Hader and Devin Williams typically have been very good. Certainly, Josh Hader has fallen down a little bit, but I do think that there are certain teams that you might be wanting to look at full game, like the A's, like the Cleveland Indians, as opposed to a team that you might want to look at it with the first five with the Rockies, because take a look at their bullpen ERA at home. It's north of six. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, who knows what could happen toward the toward the latter half of the game, especially in a park like Coors Field. And just in general, Greg, really, I mean, some of these bullpens who, if they're not really in the top tier, top 10, I kind of tend to like, if you can get them for more so plus money, I guess I would say that's when I look at them for first five, because I don't trust their bullpens as much. And I'd rather take a little bit of that angle at it as opposed to going the full game, because I, I think you just have... You know, we were talking about these bad beats earlier. I mean, it just stinks so much more when you go the full game. They pitch an absolute gem. Maybe they play perfectly all up until the eighth, the ninth inning, and then the bullpen it just comes, and it's an absolute train wreck. So then sometimes when you get these first fives, you take advantage of the starting pitching that you can already have a little bit more reliability on. You understand it. You can assess that more than you don't know what's going to happen with the bullpen. So then you can feel a little bit more comfortable and secure with your handicap. Get it out of the way after the first five. If it's a win, you're good to go. You're chilling for the rest of the game. If not hey, maybe make it back with an in-game opportunity. Or if you don't get it, then you take a look and you kind of sit back and go, okay, where did it go wrong here? How can I translate that to the full game? Or how can I look to bet this in the future? So really when you do the first five, it kind of gives you a lot of angles to, I guess, improve and kind of work on your handicapping for the long run. And if you wind up betting the first five as well, you get a quicker resolution, which means more time to be able to watch Desperate Housewives reruns as we do have Tandy Perk joining me right here on the podcast. And (laughs) I do think that we've got some very intriguing games for Wednesday. Got a couple games there off the board, obviously. The Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers, we've got a whole lot of question when it comes there. But taking a look at a dog that I think might be a little bit overpriced here, that'd be the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, they, much like the St. Louis Cardinals, got absolutely thrashed on Tuesday. It was not good to say the least. There was a comedy of errors. Taiwan Walker winds up getting knocked out in the second inning after he winds up giving up, I believe it was either six or seven runs, but only one of which was earned. The fielding behind him was terrible. And then it just snowballed into a big, giant Yankees debacle. But you've got Garrett Cole has been, when he does give up home runs, obviously it has been a little bit of a different issue going up against Santa Rorick. But as I'm seeing it right now, Blue Jays are between a plus 215 as high as about a plus 235 underdog. Certainly, the Yankees should have a little bit of an upper hand here, but when you're seeing north of $2 with a team like the Toronto Blue Jays, I always think that this is a little bit of an appealing spot just because we know that Tanner Roark is certainly not going to be delivering like some eight-inning gem or anything like that, but he's backed up by a very solid lineup, and this is a lineup that's going to be going up against someone in Garrett Cole that he certainly is going to get his strikeouts, but at the same time, right now leads the MLB when it comes to home run surrendered as well. Yeah, Greg, personally, this is a game that I'm going to be staying away from just because it's so chalky with the Yankees. But the fact that you can get the Blue Jays for a little bit over two to one with the offense they have. I mean, I'm in agreement with you. If I had to play this game, I'd certainly be taking the plus money. Yeah, you don't want to back Tanner Roark here, but anybody can have at least a decent enough pitching outing to keep them in the game, assuming their offense can do well enough against Garrett Cole, who hasn't necessarily been pitching that well. He's been serviceable, like you said but not necessarily as dominant as we saw last season. So the fact that they're that high, I get it, it's at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees are finally playing well. The Blue Jays are kind of going up and down now, but they still have been hitting their stride relatively at the right time. You definitely got to lean the way of the dog. No way I would lay with the Yankees. Even with the run line, you're still going to be not getting that great a plus value. 
So it'd be Blue Jays or nothing for me. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And then there's obviously a very interesting game that's going to be going on in Wednesday as well with a tremendous pitching matchup. Jacob DeGrom is going to be going up against Aaron Nola. Now, these two faced off about two weeks ago. You had Jacob DeGrom deliver a gem. His team only allowed one run. And then Aaron Supernola's team, well, wasn't so super. They allowed 14 runs to the New York Mets. I think it's safe to say that we're not going to see any of these teams hang two touchdowns on the board again, but I'm seeing a total of here of seven and a half. How do you gauge these games when you have two aces on the mound? Because obviously, Jacob DeGrom and Aaron Nola, two of the best that you're going to find out there in the National League. As I'm seeing it right now, you've got the Mets hovering right around minus 130 to minus 135 with that seven and a half total. It certainly is one of these things in which we have seen some of these lower totals come through, but when they do wind up getting hiked up, much like we saw in game one between the Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies, they go way over. It just seems like there's no in-between when you wind up getting this sort of a pitching matchup. Yeah, and at some point, yeah, it almost gets too low, but I mean, the obvious place to look under first five, under all of that, but at seven and a half, if it's going to be at that three and a half number, then it's really tough to play that for me. Honestly, the way I'd be looking at it is taking the plus money with the Phillies here. And that's kind of how I was thinking about the game last night where they won two. I mean, you were trusting Porcello in this matchup against Arietta, who, yes, has struggled. But the Phillies offense has enough to keep them in that game. And yes, they win four to one. So not that many runs naturally, but enough to get the win. I'm just kind of surprised. I'm not surprised because it's Jacob DeGrom, but I'm surprised in the sense that Aaron Nola is good enough, which shouldn't warrant them probably being that big a dog against his Mets team. And as we know, home field advantage, not as big a factor, still slightly enough, even though there's no fans, just because of familiarity with the ballpark. Greg, honestly, I'd be looking to take the plus money with the Phillies here, if anything. Once again, not one that I'd probably circle out as a best bet per se. But if you're giving me that much with the Phillies straight up, I would have to look that way too, assuming anything could go wrong. If the Phillies can do enough to get the Grom out of the game by, you know, hopefully the sixth inning, leave it up to the bullpen. The Phillies could definitely take advantage of the Mets in that regard. And if Aaron Nola can limit them to at least two runs, maybe three, then the Phillies should be within this game. And that's why I would look to go toward the dog at home with the Phillies money line. And I was certainly with you in not trusting in Rick Porcello, because if you've trusted in Rick Porcello the last few years, well, it has not necessarily gone well for you. But it is always going well for our guest, Danny Burke, who's joining me right here on the podcast. And Danny, just taking a look at the Wednesday slate in general, I do think that we've got a pretty solid card. Cole Amels is going to be making his return to the mound against the Baltimore Orioles. That should be very intriguing. We've got an undetermined starter going up against us in May of the L.A. Dodgers. Austin Voth, who's got an ERA north of seven, is going to be going for the Washington Nationals. The list goes on and on. Is there anything that's really catching your eye in something that you might have a star around, whether it be from a betting perspective or just a game that you want to watch as a fan in general? You know, Greg, honestly, well, I'm curious to see a line, and I might just be missing it right now for the matchup, the, the game one for the Brewers and the Cardinals. Woodruff had a really good outing against the Cubs the other day, and Wainwright, I mean, look, Wainwright's old, and he's a little bit over the hill as of this point, so I don't know how much I would trust backing him. I would probably gravitate toward the Brewers. I'm trying to find a line for that one right now, but I would honestly look toward Milwaukee a little bit early on in that matchup. It is trickier because, yes, you get the doubleheaders, so I personally haven't liked to bet as many doubleheaders. That one's I'm just a little curious to see where the line ends up. Also, a game that I've... This is more so about a pitcher and a team. Greg, I've been betting this Mariners team a few times the past couple weeks, and I think I've ended up maybe one and two, I think is what I've ended up at, or I pushed on a run line because uh, at Bet Rivers here, you can lay the one run instead of one and a half. Regardless, I've been playing the Mariners left and right, kind of, it seems like. And LJ Newsome 
the young pitcher they got, he's been pretty solid so far. He got taken out of the game early when he got hit with a pitch. Obviously, they didn't play uh, last night because of everything happening with uh, the fires in California. But going against Drew Smiley, it looks like the Mariners have been getting some plus money against the Giants as of late. The Mariners have been playing really well at home. This might be a game where I would take an opportunity with Newsom in this mix going against Smiley. So I don't know where this one's going to end up either. But honestly, uh, the Mariners are a team that you can always find a little bit of good plus value on them. Giants have been hot hitting. We know that, Greg. They take advantage of these late bullpens. And the Mariners don't do well against left-handed pitching. But once again, another game where maybe you go the first five under here with Smiley and Newsom. So that's probably somewhere I would seek out in that game. And that's probably the one that I'll keep an eye on most. Um, also with the Cubs and the uh, Indians here too. Look, I know Lester had a good uh, good outing against the Brewers the last time. I actually faded him. Lester, I know he finally had a good outing. I just don't know if he has it in him back-to-back to do it once again. So maybe look for Savali and the Indians. But at the same time, this Indians team needs to find some constant offense that they can produce too. So this will be a fascinating one to see um, where the total is probably. I, I would be more curious to see where the total ends up for the Indians and Cubs in this spot. But look, if you're betting out there and you go Lester and you go name recognition, just remember he's slowly regressing pretty much every year after every year. Yes, he had that good signature outing, but I wouldn't really rely on him to do it again. So I always kind of look to fade my guy Lester and I say my guy <laughs> being a Cubs fan. But it's a good opportunity to make a profit here, Greg. Exactly. Money is money as long as it's green and it cashes. That is all that matters. <laughs> you could be betting on Chicago State versus like Duke in college basketball. You could be betting on KBO and my friends the Smiling Blobs. Or you could be fading your Chicago Cubs and make some money there. That is all that matters. And it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens with that Giants versus the Mariners game because as we know, wildfires wound up postponing the game on Tuesday. So this is going to be a series that is going to be picked up in San Francisco on Wednesday. So I am very, very much intrigued by that. And a man that is always intriguing and does a great job with all of his shows for VEASAN and so many other outlets, that would be Danny Burke. Danny, you do absolutely tremendous work. So just let the people know what you're all doing on Rush Hour since it is a little bit of a new show on VEASAN and how they're able to follow along with everything that you do on social media. Yeah, absolutely. So the show Rush Hour I do out of the Bet River Sportsbook here in Des Plaines, Illinois. So if you're in town, feel free to stop on by, say what's up, 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, the Xfinity app. You save VEASAN into your remote. You're able to watch it. Fubo Sling, Sirius XM 204, the VEASAN app, and our website for the live stream. Then I also do Bet on Chicago Saturdays on WLS 8, 9 a.m. from uh, 7 to 8 p.m. And then I also, Greg, just started a new show with Fox 32 here called Props and Locks on Sundays at 10 a.m. previewing the NFL slate. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, be sure to check that out. And, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Danny Burke. And occasionally Danny Burke gets in a 35-minute nap as well. But this is a man that he certainly does a little (laughs) bit of everything and does so so well. Always great to get Danny on the podcast. So big thanks to Danny Burke for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Wednesday's card and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Danny Burke of VSIM for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a signed total on every game on the Wednesday MLB betting board and something I like to call... 
touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRSCordy1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas straight in order. Have a little bit of an interesting ordeal with the Mariners and the Giants game, so you're going to have a little bit of a different rotation number because the venue has shifted to San Francisco, so we'll address that when the time comes. And obviously, the Cardinals and Brewers double dip as a little bit of mystery, but past that, we should be all good to go on all these. And we begin with 951-952 on the betting board. Washington Nationals are going to be on the road facing off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Josh Fleming goes for the Rays. Meanwhile, Austin Voth is on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Jones game nine offers anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. And your under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105 with Washington Nationals. You're getting anywhere between plus 150 and plus 160 if you're looking to lay it with our good buddies at Tampa Bay Rays. You're going to be laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180. Certainly got to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays in this spot. They wound up having an opener come in for Ryan Yarbrough, and by and large, they were able to do a great job of shutting down the Washington Nationals. And for the Washington Nationals, this just continues to be a team that cannot hit with men in scoring position. I don't know how, I don't know why, it doesn't matter to the opponent, but they have been really scuffling with that regard. As you take a look at the Washington Nationals, Trey Turner down for what and Juan Soto. Both of these guys have been very solid for the team. They're hitting above a 340, respectively. And then you've been able to get quite a few other of these ancillary guys that have been able to do a solid job of getting on base as well. Kurt Suzuki, the man that drove in the only run of the game on Tuesday for this team. He's hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 275. Luis Garcia along with Josh Harrison. Both of these guys hitting in that realm as well. You have a couple guys that need to pick it up. Adam Eaton, Azrubal Cabrera, Carter Keyboom, Victor Robles. All these guys are hitting below a 235 along with Eric Thames who just has not been the signing that they were hoping for. Meanwhile for the Tampa Bay race, this is a team that they just have a bunch of functional guys that seem to be very clutch because there's nothing that really jumps off the page for this team. Manuel Margot hitting right around a 290. You've had Nathaniel Lobe able to give the team a couple home runs recently. He's hitting a 250. Kevon Smith is now seeing some spots at the catcher position because Mike Zanino along with Michael Perez. They just have not gotten the job done so far this year. Austin Meadows is hitting at 205. This was the team's best hitter last year. Yoshi Satsugo, who came over from the MPB. He's been a big disappointment. Mark Brusso has been able to hit a 330. And Brandon Lau has a 350 on base. He's been hitting right around a 260. And then whenever Joey Wendell's out there, he's been solid. But it's just really a Tampa Bay team that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. This Washington Nationals bullpen is very awful. That's putting it very politely. They got fewer than five innings out of Anibal Sanchez. Now they are going to have guys like Sean Doolittle, Danny Hudson and company that are going to be available, but with this Washington Nationals team, you can tell that they're already playing for next year. They've already got 29 losses. As a result, we saw a bunch of younger bullpen arms come into the game on Tuesday, and I think that this is going to be a spot in which Austin Voth, someone with an ERA that is north of a 7-5, it's almost at an 8, is going to give it up once again. 11 home runs, give it up in 32 innings. This is just someone that is unreliable. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the race on the run line in this spot. You're going to be finding it probably around even money. You might be laying like a minus 105 or minus 110, but I think it's good value. And with Foth just being what he is right now, taking this total over as well. We move on to 953-954 on the betting board. The Oakland A's. The A's team is going to be hitting the road face off against the Colorado Rockies. Herman Marquez going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Mike Straight fires on the bump for the Oakland A's. If you're looking at the Oakland A's, you're going to be getting a little bit of a plus price here. With the Oakland A's, you're going to be finding them anywhere in the neighborhood of plus 105 and plus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Colorado Rockies, that's anywhere between minus 118 and minus 128. 
With Mike Fires, he has been significantly better the last couple of starts than he was at the beginning of the year. If you know Mike Fires, you know that this is a guy that he's going to give you a couple blow-up starts before he winds up finding his watermark. And over his last five starts, he's given up three runs or fewer in four of them. And he's won at least five innings in all of them. He's certainly not much of a swing and miss guy. 30 punch outs and 48 innings. But by and large, he's been able to get the job done. And he's only given up one home run over his last four starts. So you certainly do like to see that. And quite a few of those starts straight out of his last four have went under the total. Meanwhile, you take a look at Herman Marquez. We were we're talking about with Danny. He winds up having that just ten run clunker against the Houston Astros. Other than that, he's really been solid so far this year. He's given up two runs or fewer, and I believe seven out of his ten starts, so he's been able to hold down the fourth there. I should say earned runs because he's had the victimizing of a couple unearned runs that have been given up in a few of his starts, but you take a look at this Colorado Rockies team. 20 out of their last 25 games, they have scored five runs or fewer, so they certainly have not been able to put a lo- up a lot on the board. This is a team that, at home, they hit right around a 285 as a collective, and you got quite a few guys here getting the job done, as you've got Gary Garrett Hampson, along with Nolan Arenado, Elias Diaz, along with Kevin Pillar, all in between a 250 and a 265. Matt Kemp is hitting right around 245. And then Josh Fuentes, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, all guys are in a 295 or higher. And all these guys, aside from really Fuentes, has a on-base percentage above a 365 as well. And for the Oakland A's, this is a bunch that they're not doing a great job when it comes to batting average. Obviously, Coors Field should be able to help out with that a little bit, but they're in the top five of the league with regards to the runs that are produced per hit. So, when they do make contact, they are able to give you quite a bit of something. And you've got quite a few guys that are starting to improve their batting average a little bit. Jonah Heim is starting to get some spots at the catcher position. He's been giving the team a 260 batting average. Then you got Robbie Grossman, Marcana, Tony Kemp hitting between a 240 and a 250. Ramon Laureano's only hitting a 227 along with Marcus Simeon, but for Laureano, his on-base percentage is a 354. They've kicked the tires on Jake Lamb, and ever since coming over to Oakland, he's been okay, and then Tommy Lasell's given this team a 280, but what I like about Oakland is the fact that you've got Liam Hendricks who's going to be good to go in this one. Lou Trevino wound up getting used up on Tuesday, but you still have a bunch of other guys like Jake Diekman and company that are able to come out of the bullpen. For the Rockies, their bullpen on the road has been solid. At home, not so much, but that bullpen is going to be very well rested as Antonio Sensatello was able to give the team a complete game on Tuesday. That no doubt gives them a little bit of something. I do think that the Colorado Rockies should be able to pull this one out and with the Rockies having a well rested bullpen and the A's being as good in their bullpen and let's face it, as poor at the plate as they are when it comes to just overall batting average, I'm going to be taking a look at this total under along with that Rockies money line. We're going to be going with 955-956 on the betting board next. The LA Dodgers are on the road facing off against the San Diego Padres. Going for the Padres, it is to be determined on the Vegas betting board, but as of right now, I am seeing Chris Paddock, who's going to be getting the start. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Dodgers, it is going to be Mr. Dustin May as a result of a little bit of a to-be-determined starter. This is a game that is presently off the board, but for Dustin May, he's been quite solid so far this year, but I will say this. In a lot of his starts, he hasn't necessarily given the best of length. He has went north of five innings, I believe, just twice so far this year. Might be three times, but you take a look at his last five starts. Certainly has been a little bit of a speed situation. His last start, this was due to injury, where he only went one inning against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So you do have to question what sort of shape he's going to be in. And despite the fact that he's able to throw right around 100 miles per hour, 28 strikeouts of 41 and two-thirds innings. So that tells you that his stuff is sort of flat. Meanwhile, with Paddock, well, what has not been flat is his home run numbers. He has given up 11 of them in 49 and a third innings, but he's still getting 52 strikeouts, still has a 122 whip, so other than home runs, he's not giving up a lot, as he's only given up 9 walks, and for Dustin May, good control as well, as he's given up 10 of them. Very intriguing game, what we saw on Tuesday between these two teams, as the San Diego Padres wanted to make a rally late, but they were unable to cash in on the Dodgers bullpen, which is number one out there in the National League when it comes to ERA. Kenley Jansen certainly probably not going to be able to be used in this game, but pretty much everyone else 
else who came out of the bullpen was used for four pitches or fewer, and they only used up Caleb Ferguson and Blake Tryon as well. So you got to think that the usual suspects are going to be available in this game. And now for the Dodgers, they have Mr. Justin Turner down for what back in the fold? And that means that Turner, Will Smith, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, top four in the lineup. All these guys have a 355 on base or higher. All these guys hitting at least a 298 as well. Now you do have a couple scuffling bats. Jock Peterson, Edwin Rios, along with Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy. All these guys are hitting below a 220, but... A.J. Pollock has given this team a 280 and a double-digit amount of home runs. Then for the Padres, this is a team that you got to think is going to be able to put up a much better offensive effort as you've got Will Myers, Austin Supernola, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Trent Grisham, Mitch Moreland, Jake Cronenworth, all in at 271 or higher, obviously, with Tatis Jr. He's been able to give this team 15-plus home runs. He's been doing a great job of being able to drive them in. A lot of these guys, like Machado, along with Fernando Tatis Jr., Will Myers, a 360 on base or greater as well, so that is going to help this team out. Jackson Profire has his batting average back up to a 262. For the Padres, the bullpen has been a little bit suspect, but you got Trevor Rosenthal, the team traded for as well, so I think that this is going to be very intriguing. If you wind up seeing a total that is a little bit more similar to what we've seen at the beginning of this series, right around 8.5, I probably would be looking over in this spot, just because with Paddock, he's given up a bunch of home runs. With Dustin May, who knows what you're going to get out of him since he did wind up leaving his last start early against the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I probably would be looking at the Padres, especially if you're getting a little bit of a plus price, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, because if the Padres are like a minus 150 favorite, I'm not going to be on board with that. 957, 958 on the betting board is up next. The Cincinnati Reds, yes we are on to Cincinnati, going to be playing goes to the Pittsburgh Pirates. J.T. Burbaker is going to be going for the Buccos. Meanwhile, you've got Luis Castillo is going to be on the bump for the Red Legs. Your total on this game is 8.5 over and under at minus 110. If you're looking at the Red Legs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 215 and minus 235. Meanwhile, plus price here on the Buccos is anywhere between plus 190 and plus 205. For Burbaker, he's actually been halfway decent for the Pittsburgh Pirates. 534 ERA is not terrific, but he's kept the ball in the yard for him. Runs given up in 30 and a third innings. The 13 walks are a little bit unsightly, but he's getting a little bit north of nine punch-outs per nine innings. You take a look at his last start against the Chicago White Sox. Certainly not one to remember as he gave up seven runs in five and a third innings. But past that, he's really given up three or fewer in pretty much every one of his starts. As we know, the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that you cannot rely upon as they've got a team batting average below a 220. you got to think that positive regression is going to set in at some point. And you've got to think that that's going to be the same for Luis Castillo, who has been certainly doing a great job of punching him off. 66 strikeouts and four home runs surrendered in 52 and a third innings. But to show for it, He's got a 2-5 record despite a 3.44 ERA. Now, he has been rolling recently with regards to earned runs because he's been the victim of a couple unearned runs. He has just not been backed up by great support whatsoever, but in regards to earned runs, two or fewer in four out of his last five starts, he has went at least five innings in pretty much all of his starts aside from the one against Kansas City as well, so he's been able to do a good job there with the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is not necessarily a tremendous bullpen, but at the same time, it hasn't necessarily been terrible. Guys like Richard Rodriguez, I really do like what they're getting out of Nick Tropiano as a long reliever as well. They've been able to do a little bit of something, but man, both of these teams have been very rough on offense. You take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've just got a comedy of guys that are not hitting well. Though Cabrian Hayes has come up to the major league level, he was one of the top prospects for the Pittsburgh Pirates entering into the season. He's hitting a 310, and then you've got Eric Gonzalez along Kamara Ramble, hitting a 261. Jacob Sellings, whenever he's out there, has been solid. He's been in and out of the fold a little bit, but 345 on base, 270 batting average. But then you've just got the guys that need to pick it up. Josh Bell has, but he had 115 RBI during the 2019 season. He's still below 20 here in 2020, which I think is very fitting. But then you've got Gregory Polanco, JT Riddle. 
Kevin Newman, Cole Tucker, Brian Reynolds, among the many that are hitting 8-2-30 or lower. John Ryan Murphy has been absolutely useless for this team. And then you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. They wind up giving an at-bat to one player who currently has a batting average above a 240 on Tuesday, and that would be Jesse Winker, who's fresh off the injured list. I will say, whenever they have Stevenson out there at the catcher spot, he has been very solid as well, but he's got 15 at-bats. And then you got just a bunch of guys that are hitting, like, in that 200 and 220 range. Jose Garcia, along Tucker Barner, Kirk Caselli, Freddie Galvis, Shogo Akiyama is now above a 220. He's at a 237. So congratulations to him. But Joey Votto, Mike Moustakis, all these guys find themselves in that fold. Nick Cassianos along Brian Goodwin are both hitting more in the neighborhood of a 230. I will say for Cassianos, double digit amount of home runs, but certainly has been a rough year for all these guys. And with the Reds, the bullpen is decent. Lucas Sims wound up getting used up on Tuesday, so he's going to be out of the fold, but you're going to have Rossiel Iglesias available. I think that this is going to be a game in which neither team is going to be able to generate a whole heck of a lot, but I think that Burbaker is going to be able to give a good start here for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think that this is just going to be a classic down spot, especially Luis Castillo giving up 20 walks in 52 in a third inning so far this year. I think the Pirates are able to win something like a 3-2 to two game. So we're going to be taking the plus price here with Pittsburgh, and we're going to be taking this total under as well. 959-960 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Boston Red Sox, and they are on the road facing off against Miami Marlins. Trevor Rogers goes for the fish. Meanwhile, you've got Mr. Kickham. That would be Mike Kickham going for the Boston Red Sox. Total on this game is 9. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between minus 105. We have a nine and a half out there as well. That under is minus 125. Over is plus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, you should be probably getting more than this. Anywhere between plus 120 and plus 130. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with Miami, that's anywhere between 134, minus 134, and minus 140. And for Trevor Rogers, he wound up having some massive regression in his last start against the Philadelphia Phillies. Prior to going up against the Phillies in that double dip, he had given up three runs or fewer in each out of his first three starts. He was looking very solid, and he saw his good swing and miss stuff. You take a look at what he's done in his first four starts. 26 strikeouts, 8 walks, and 18 innings. He has been giving up quite a bit of hard contact, though. Five home runs. He winds up giving up nine runs over the course of three innings against the Philadelphia Phillies. He certainly isn't as good as his first three starts, but he certainly isn't as bad as that last one. Meanwhile, with Mike Kickham, before he wound up pitching for the Boston Red Sox this season, he last pitched on a big league mound in 2014. I think that he was with like the Frisco Rough Riders or something like that. And he actually hasn't been terrible thus far. Nine innings pitch, he's given up five runs, but three home runs. He has gotten 12 strikeouts, but I just think that now that there's a little bit more tape out on him, it certainly is not going to fare well for him. Neither of these teams could really generate a lot of offense on Tuesday. I found that to be very intriguing, especially with the Boston Red Sox trotting out there a rookie pitcher, but for the Boston Red Sox, they do have quite a few guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. Bobby Dahlbeck, Christian Vasquez, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts all in between a 272 and a 288. Alex Verdugo sitting above a 300 as well, and for Christian Vasquez, he has been able to give this team a little bit more power. He had four home runs in the first like week and a half of the season. Ever since then, it's been like one, but it seems to be coming back a little bit more. Riario Munoz hitting at 341 as well. Now, J.D. Martinez yeah, has had a season to forget. He's hitting right at the Mendoza line, which is 200, but you take a look at the Miami Marlins. This is a team that they really got shut down on Tuesday, but you got a lot of guys that have been functional for this offense. The Marte Parte of Starling Marte, along with Jesus Aguiar in the middle, both with a 350 something on base. Both of these guys in between a 287 and a 300. Corey Dickerson's been able to hit right around at 250 as well. Jorge Alfaro, along with a few of the younger guys, including Chislam have been having a little bit of a tough season, but Miguel Rojas, 361 batting average, 448 on base. Then you've got Garrett Cooper, Brett Anderson, both hitting between a 265 and a 275. So you do like to see that with Miami Marlins. 
Bullpen has been pretty solid. Now, you did have to blow through quite a few guys. James White wound up getting used up, but you should have Brandon Kitzler and company available. I think that this is a Boston team that they certainly don't have necessarily trustworthy pitching in this spot. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to get runs up on the board. I don't have any faith in Mr. Kickham. I don't have a lot of faith in Mr. Trevor Rogers. so for that reason... I'm going to be riding out this total to the over, and I'm also just looking at the Miami Marlins. I have a whole lot more faith in their bullpen than that of the Boston Red Sox, and who knows what Mr. Kickham is going to be able to provide you as well. Probably a kick in the pants. 961-962 on the betting board is up next. The Atlanta Braves are going to be on the road facing off against the Baltimore Orioles. Keegan Aiken goes for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Cole Amels is on the bump for the Braves. Braves started out as minus 180 favorites. You're now seeing it anywhere between minus 175 and seeing as low as minus 160. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles. Anywhere between plus 145 and plus 155. Your total on this game between 9.5 and, and 10. On the 10, the under is just a minus 125. The over is plus 105. On the 9.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Baltimore Orioles because... What are we going to get out of Cole Hamels, ladies and gentlemen? He last pitched, like, I think it might actually be over 12 months ago. So, I mean, it's just one of these things in which he had a long rehab. He hasn't pitched at all this season. It's just a jury's out situation. And even if you're going back to the 2019 season, he obviously had a tremendous start to the campaign. And then he just wound up flailing off towards the end of the 2019 season. As you take a look at what he did in the month of September, he did not go north of five innings in any of his last four starts of the season. And then when he was going a full, I would say, five-plus innings in most of his starts, this would be in the month of September. In September, 27 innings. He gave up 19 earned runs in the process. Gave up five bombs as well. This is just not someone that I can have any faith in. Now, Mr. Aiken wound up getting exposed in his last start against the New York Yankees. You figured that he was treading on some thin water after he wound up being able to have some very, very good outings to begin his career. Gives up four runs. He doesn't even make it out of the first inning. But with that said, I do think that he's going to have a little bit more success here because obviously he's not facing a team for a second time with the Atlanta Braves. This, no doubt, is an offense that's able to get things going. On Monday, they wound up not being able to put up a lot of runs. But keep in mind, this is a team that put up 20. 29 a couple days ago, and this is an Atlanta Braves team that you've got a lot of guys are in a 284 or greater. Freddie Freeman, Marcel Ozuna, Travis A. Arnaud, along with Dansby Swanson, all in the fold. You've got Adam Duvall sitting right around a 255, two three-run home run games over the last three weeks. Ozzy Albies has been able to pick it up. He, Austin Riley, and Ronald Acuna Jr. all in between a 236 and a 256, but in the case of Acuna Jr., on base above a 400, so this is a fearsome lineup. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, you certainly have some guys that are able to get on base for this team as well. Pedro Severino, Anser Alberto, Ryan Mountcastle, and Jose Iglesias, all hitting a 294 or greater. Now, you need to get a little bit more out of guys like Rio Ruiz, Austin, the Sayes kid, Jan Sisko. These guys are hitting a 230 or lower, but DJ Stewart has been able to give this team something like seven home runs over the last two weeks. Edric Mullins has been able to give this team right around a 275 as well. For the Orioles, they really had to dive into their bullpen as Thomas Shellman. In his start, only went three into third innings for the Atlanta Braves. They certainly have their bullpen as a strength, but Will Smith, Darren O'Day, along with Shane Green, Mark Melanson, and Chris Martin all wound up getting used on Tuesday. Now, a lot of these guys wound up going fewer than 18 pitches. Pretty much all of them did, but it still is one of these situations in which you use up a lot of your bullpen on Tuesday to be able to get that win. So, I do think that's going to play a little bit of effect here. Certainly going to be looking at the over. I just cannot trust the Cole Amos in this spot. You're pretty much betting on a sight unseen pitcher, and I feel a little bit more with the known commodity of how good the Baltimore Orioles and Braves hitting both have been. I think that the Baltimore Orioles are going to be able to get them out very early. So, for that reason, going with this over and the plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles.
Devils. 963-964 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays hitting the road to face off against the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole goes for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Tanner Roark on the bump for the Toronto Blue Jays. Your total on this game, anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 105. On the 9, the under is just up minus 125. Over is plus 105. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, finding them as high as a plus 235. Anywhere between plus 213 and plus 235. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Yankees, laying at minimum minus 250, as high as minus 275. Garrett Cole has certainly been able to do a good job when he's not giving up home runs. Problem is, he leads the league right now in home run surrendered. So that is not necessarily a terrific thing. I think about 30 or so percent of the hits that he's given up I have gone over the fence. If there's one thing the Toronto Blue Jays have, that is certainly a power. Now, Teoscar Hernandez, along with Rowdy Tellus, currently on the 10-day injured list. But you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Alejandro Kirk. Now, this guy is certainly a little bit beefy at the catcher spot, but he certainly has been able to do a better job than Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire just have not been able to produce a whole lot of anything. They've got a lot of guys that are in the neighborhood between a 240 and a 255. Kevon Biggio, Travis Shaw, Vlad Guerrero Jr., all in that full. Jonathan Davis has been able to hit a 333 as well, along with Lords Guriel sitting more around a 300. Now, Derek Fisher had a terrible day out there in the field. He wanted to miss playing a few balls. So that was obviously a little bit brutal, but you still have a very locked and loaded lineup that's able to go deep at pretty much any spot in this order, especially with Boba Shipback, who's hitting nearly a 340. And for the New York Yankees, the Thunder is back for the CMS. This is a team that they've been dealing with injury all year long, but John Carlos Stanton has returned. He's hitting right around a 270 for this bunch. Your shell is also back. He and Clint Frazier are both hitting between a 290 and a 300. Luke Voigt winds up going yard in the team's absolute smackdown of the Toronto Blue Jays on Tuesday. He's been able to give the team now 18 home runs. He's hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 280. DJ LeMay was hitting a 363. And when you take a look at Tanner Rourke, it certainly has not been the world's greatest year for him. He is a little bit of a fly ball pitcher. 560 ERA, 35 and a third innings. He's given up 10 home runs and 19 walks, but he actually does a solid job of being able to keep the game out in front of him. And what you like about the Toronto Blue Jays is that this is also a bunch that they have a very good bullpen. Guys like AJ Cole. Now, they did use up Randy Baruki in their big giant loss on Tuesday, but you've also been able get Anthony Bass for a couple solid innings. Ken Giles is back. He wound up being able to make an appearance on Tuesday. So this is a team that they certainly have been able to do a great job of being able to hold leads as a result of that bullpen for the New York Yankees. Guys like Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman and company, they've been able to do a solid job of holding down the fort as well after a little bit of a rough ride to the year. But I do think that with Garrett Cole, he's going to be able to give a solid performance. I think that Tanner Rourke is going to be able to do a good job of being able to persevere through four or five innings and then turn it over to a Toronto Blue Jays bullpen that is going to be able to keep them in this game and ultimately give the Toronto Blue Jays just enough to be able to win it. So I'm going to be taking the plus price here with Toronto as well as this total under. We move on to 965-966 on the betting board. Philadelphia Phillies are going to be playing host to the New York Mets. Jacob deGrom going for the New York Mets. Meanwhile, it was supposed to be Aaron Supernola going for the Philadelphia Phillies. As I'm seeing it right now, it appears as though Zach Wheeler, after he got injured, putting on pants a couple days ago. Not even kidding. That's why he wound up missing his start against the Miami Marlins. He was putting on pants. He's going to be making the start for the Philadelphia Phillies. As I'm seeing it right now, these are, I've got to think, with NOLA numbers. The total on this game is 7 over and under, both at minus 110. With the Mets, you're laying anywhere between minus 130 and minus 135. Plus price here with the Phillies. And we're between plus 115 and seeing his eyes at plus 122. Now, Zach Wheeler, you got to think that this is actually not going to be much of a downgrade from Aaron Supernola. Now, you do have a little bit of a question mark, but it looked like he just wound up hurting a fingernail while he was putting on pants. I mean, I just have never had to handicap a pants injury before. 
There are other pants injuries I know about, but that's a story for another day. But with that said, you take a look at Zach Wheeler. By and large, for the year, he's been solid. Now, only 36 strikeouts to 51 innings. That's a little bit uncharacteristic, but you got to think that he's going to have a little bit of juice going up against his former team. Last time he wanted facing off against him, gave up three runs over the course of six innings. But you take a look at him. Three runs or fewer given up in every one of the starts so far this year. He's only given up two home runs. He's only walked nine in 51 innings, so he's been highly efficient. And Jacob deGrom is still Jacob deGrom, ladies and gentlemen. 0-87 with four home runs given up in 51 54 innings, only 13 walks and 79 punch-outs. I mean, this guy's been absolutely masterful. He had that one bad start against the Miami Marlins in which he gave up four runs, but only one of them was earned. I think he's given up 300 runs or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year. And for the New York Mets, this is a team that they're certainly able to put back to ball, but they are a little bit inconsistent. They have scored three runs or fewer in each other last three games. They've actually been doing a great job and Jacob deGrom starts being able to give them some support, but you take a look at this lineup, got a bunch of guys hitting a 300 or higher, and for that matter, all these guys are hitting a 320 or higher. Luis Galorme, along with with Jeff McNeil, Robinson Cano, Dom Smith, and Michael Conforto. And for Conforto, the on-base is north of a 425. You've also been able to get Brandon Nimmo going 388 on-base, 263 batting average, seventh home run of the campaign in the team's loss on Tuesday. J.D. Davis has been able to give this team right around 8270. Andres Jimenez is ending nearly a 300 as well, so this is a locked and loaded lineup. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, they've been dealing with a couple of injuries. Reese Hoskins currently out of the full, but Austin Knapp is back. He's hitting at 341. You just haven't been able to get a whole lot out of garlic at the left field spot, but Adam Aisley has been solid. He's hitting at 300. Phil Goss Whenever he's out there, he's hitting nearly a 275. Andrew McCutcheon, Bryce Harper, along with Gene Segura, only in between a 248 and a 254. In the case of Harper, north of a 400 on base. Alec Baum has been the Bob 3, 15 batting average. In my opinion, perhaps the most underrated rookie out there in the big leagues, Aditi Gregorius. We all go euphorious for him. He's hitting nearly a 280, but with the Philadelphia Phillies, as weird as it is to say it, their bullpen is significantly worse than that of the New York Mets right now. I do realize that they bring in Ethan Embry along with Brandon Workman, but they just have not been doing a good job there. They're still dead last when it comes to bullpen ERA for the New York Mets. You've got a lot of your big bombers that are going to be able to go in this one. Jersich, Familia, Miguel Castro, Edwin Diaz wound up going on... Tuesday, but Jason Shreve has also been good for this team. I do think that it's going to be very low scoring, despite the fact that we are getting Zach Wheeler here instead of Aaron Supernola. I still think that the under is a tremendous play. I think that in the end, you just got to trust in Jacob DeGrom. I think that he gives up two runs or fewer. So, taking this total under, and we're going to be going with the New York Mets. 967-968 on the begging board. You have the Detroit Tigers playing against the Kansas City Royals. Brady Singer are going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Tyreek Skubal is on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 9. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Kansas City Royals, anywhere between minus 122. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling minus 122 and minus 130. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Detroit Tigers, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. And I'm going to be taking a look at the Kansas City Royals. I know that they've been dealing with a couple of injuries and my goodness, they could not hit with men in scoring position on Tuesday. It was absolutely terrible. They wind up leaving. I believe it was at minimum nine men on base. It might have been ten, but that was something to behold. But they have been able to get Salvador Perez back at full. This is someone that's hitting at 340. And him being back means that the pitching is all the better for this team. And you've been able to get quite a few guys earning in that neighborhood of about a 250-ish. Ryan O'Hearn has been a little bit up and down. He's now hitting back at the Mendoza line along Nick Heath, Bubba Starlin, Nicky Lopez, all these guys hitting at 228 or lower. But you've been able to get Hunter Dozier hitting right around a 
255-ish. Ed Olivares comes over from the Santiago Padres. He's hitting at 250. Wayne Mirfield at the top of the fold is hitting at 275. He's able to give the team a little bit of pop. And Edelberto Mondesi, though, he's only hitting at 200. He's got great wheels. He's been able to give the team a couple of runs recently. And then Mikel Franco's hitting at 280. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. This has been a surprisingly good offense so far this year. You've got Ore Bonifacio now hitting at 270. Victor Reyes along with Willie Castro and Jamir Candelario are all guys hitting a 290 or greater. Now Jonathan Scope has been in and out of the fold, but you've also been able to get a little bit of something out of Austin Romine, who's hitting right around at 245. He is back. Now, you have a couple guys that they really need to pick it up. Daz Cameron, Isaac Paredes, along with Derek Hill. All these guys are hitting a buck 80 or lower, but you certainly have been able to get some good performances from the team. And for the Detroit Tigers, guys like Gregory Soto, Joey Menez and company have been able to do a good job in the bullpen. And for the Kansas City Royals, guys like Greg Holland, Scott Barlow have been surprisingly good out of the bullpen. Matt Harvey has been relegated there. And he got used up on Tuesday, so that actually should upgrade your number on the Kansas City Royals because you get to avoid that whammy and I do think that this is going to be a solid outlook for the Kansas City Royals in this one. I do think that they are going to be able to get to Mr. Tariq Skubal who really hasn't gone north of four innings aside from one start they had in a double dip. I believe it was against the Minnesota Twins. He certainly has had a little bit of a rough ride with it. When you take a look at Skubal, you got to think that he's probably going to be paired with someone that goes a little bit longer. Maybe someone like a Daniel Norris in this spot. I know that Norris typically gets paired up when and Michael Fulmer is out there on the mound, but it certainly is a look that you want to have just because with Scoobal, he has not been able to give you a whole lot of length. 727 ERA, four home runs given up in 17 and a third innings, eight walks as well. So for that reason, I'm going to be riding with Kansas City, even though Brady Singer, not necessarily the world's greatest numbers, giving up eight home runs over the course of 48 and a third innings, but you can tell that in his last start, he looked a lot more comfortable against the Cleveland Indians, eight scoreless innings, and he very nearly was able to get a no-hitter in that game. So we're going to be riding with the Royals, and we're going to be taking this total over as well. 19 969970 is also going to be in conjunction with 981 982 on the betting board. This is going to be the double dip between the Milwaukee Brewers and they are going to be playing host to the St. Louis Cardinals. In game one of this double dip, it's going to be Adam Wainwright and Brandon Woodruff. That game is off the board. This game is also off the board as it's going to be Brent Suter going for the Milwaukee Brewers and good old Doobie Determined for the St. Louis Cardinals. For Doobie Determined, you can't think it's going to be anything good because they wound up having to completely burn through their bullpen in this series. It's just one of these things where I've been talking about it on the podcast. The St. Louis Cardinals are getting burnt out. The last thing that they needed was Jack Flaherty getting absolutely destroyed, and Jack Flaherty got absolutely destroyed on Tuesday. Meanwhile, you take a look at Brent Suter in this game. Two start, this is going to be 981-982. Obviously, no numbers here, but he's made a couple starts. He's only won three innings in those starts. I won't be surprised if Craig Gonzalez lets him go a little bit further because in his last start, he wound up going three innings, punched out six, gave up one hit, he was pulled, everything was going to plan, and then the team wound up giving up the lead in the ninth inning. You gotta think that you want to get a little bit more length out of Brent Suter. You don't want to be using up that Milwaukee Brewers bullpen any more than you need to. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a team that is so odd. Over the course of their last eight games, they have scored 19 runs in one game, 18 runs in another game, I believe two runs or fewer in every one of the other ones. I mean, how do you really gauge that? It is so interesting. With the Milwaukee Brewers, you've been able to get a little bit more out of Avi Sale. Garcia, he, along with Luis Arias, are both hitting between a 250 and a 260. Ryan Braun, Ben Gamble, Keston Hira, all these guys are in between 
a 220 and a 230 for Christian Yelich. Ding dong, the whip is dead. He is hitting a little bit above a 200 now, along Daniel Vogelback, who ever since getting to Milwaukee has actually been quite solid. Omir Narvaez, Eric Sogard, Jace Peterson, all of you guys have work to do because they're hitting below a 200, but at the very least, things seem to be getting a little bit better there. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, you've obviously got Paul Goldschmidt, who's got an on-base percentage above a 400. He's hitting right around 314. Paul DeYoung has been able to maintain something very good along Brad Miller, both of these guys. On-base percentage right around a 390. But then you take a look at some of the guys at the bottom of the lineup. Lane Thomas along with Matt Wieters, Matt Carpenter, Tommy O'Neill. All these guys are in a 200 lower. Harrison Bader's actually got 340 on-base, 230 average. He's been able to do a little bit of something. And then Colton Wong spinning out of the fold. He wanted missing the team's game on Tuesday. Have been able to do a little bit of something. Ian Edmond hitting right in the neighborhood about a 260-ish. So you do have that. But when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that is very depleted. Now they do have John Gant along Giovanni Gallegos who are going to be able to come in and they're going to be able to give the team some innings out of the bullpen. And for Adam Wainwright, he's probably the best shot of the St. Louis Cardinals to be able to get a win. This is going to be the game in which he faces off against Woodruff. 46 and third innings for him. He's given up six home runs. And I will say, his lifetime ERA on the road is a full point higher than it is at home. So there is that. But Adam Wainwright so far this year, regardless of where he's pitched, he has been able to do an absolutely superb job. He's given up three earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts so far this year. And ironically enough, that start wound up coming at home. He hasn't necessarily had a bunch of road starts, so you don't have a big sample size there. Meanwhile, for Brandon Woodruff, he has been able to do a very good job for this team. He's given up only about one home run per nine innings. He's got an ERA hovering right around 340. So if you're seeing a total on this game that is north of six in game one, that would be 969-970, the Woodruff versus and Wainwright game, I'd be looking at that under, and I'd probably take a look at it, the Milwaukee Brewers in both of these games, unless if you're finding the Brewers at like minus 140 in this game, one between Wainwright and Woodruff, that would be a little bit too much, then I'd be taking a shot on the St. Louis Cardinals, and in game two, if it is a bullpen game like I expect for the St. Louis Cardinals, probably would be taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers in that spot as well, total is going to depend on who we wind up getting for a starter in that game, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, but that's where we're looking right now, 971-972 on the betting board is up next. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing off to the Minnesota Twins. Jake Odorizzi is going to be going for the Twinkies. Meanwhile, Lucas Gilito is on the bump for the White Sox. If you're looking at the White Sox, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 143 and minus 150. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135. Tallens games 8.5. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110. And with Jake Odorizzi, he just has not made a lot of starts so far this year. And when he has made starts, it has not gone well for him. Meanwhile, for Lucas Gilito, ever since he's had that no hitter, things have certainly regressed for him, but what we love about him is that he's only given up five home runs in 60 and a third innings. Walks have been a little bit of an issue from time to time just throughout his entire career, and it's been one of these cases in which he's given up one or fewer in four out of his last five starts, so as a result he certainly has been rolling. Opponents of the White Sox, whenever he's been on the mound, three runs or fewer in four out of his last five as well, so he certainly has been able to do his job giving up two home runs in the process. And then with Odorizzi, who I was talking about a little bit earlier, 8-10 ERA so far this year. He has faced the Kansas City Royals all three times that he started, and he's got an 8-10 ERA and has given up three home runs over the course of, I believe it is, 10 innings. So, I mean, it is not going well for him whatsoever. Now the Minnesota Twins have one of the better bullpens that you're going to find out there in the big leagues, but it just seems like they're starting to get a little bit tags. Jorge Alcala wound up having to play for back-to-back nights on Monday and Tuesday. They were able to save a couple pieces because Clippert, along with Alcala, were able to give some long relief, but for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that they aren't necessarily getting great batting 
average right now. You've got Miguel Sano, I hear Adrianza, Max Kepler, Josh Donaldson. I recognize a lot of these guys have been hurt, but they're all in a 225 for Laura Nelson Cruz. Has to do a little bit of everything for this team as a result. 15 plus home runs, 30 plus RBI. He's hitting a 320 on base north of a 400. Travis Blakenhorn wound up getting the call up to the major leagues on Tuesday. He wound up going one of three in his debut. Byron Buxton hitting right around a 250, and then you've been able to get a little bit of something out of a young catcher in Ryan Jeffers, who's hitting a 280, but then you take a look at the White Sox. This is a team that is very fearsome. They've got a whole bunch of guys who are able to get on base as Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, along with Eloy Jimenez, Adam Engel, Nick Madrigal. All these guys are hitting above a three along with James McCann. Now you got Gerard Dyson, who's just been a big giant scud for the team. Luis Robert is hitting more around a 260. I will say that Yohan Mankata hitting right around 250 is a little bit intermiss, but you take a look at this White Sox team. Their bullpen is pretty solid. Matt Foster wound up getting used up on Tuesday, but you're still going to have guys like Alex Colome and company. They're able to hold down the fort. I do think that this is another very good spot here for the Chicago White Sox, just because I think Jake Odorizzi, once again, is going to get shelled. How you have an ERA that is north of 8 when you're facing off against nobody but the Kansas City Royals all year long. That is not necessarily terrific, so we're going to be going with this little over, and we're going to be laying here with the Chicago White Sox. 973-974 on the betting board is up next. The Houston Astros are going to be playing against the Texas Rangers. Kyle Gibson goes for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Lance McKellars is on the bump for the Houston Astros. Total on this game is between 99.5. On the 9, your over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. The under has minus 125 juice if you're looking at 9.5. And, and on the 9.5, over is plus 105. If you're looking at the Houston Astros on the money line, anywhere between minus 235 and minus 255. Meanwhile, the Texas Rangers, anywhere between plus 205 and plus 215. For Kyle Gibson, it has been the no good, terrible, very, very bad year for him as he's got an ERA that is once again north of 6. He wound up having a good year to begin the campaign with the Minnesota Twins in 2019. The wheels fell off towards the end of it, and they clearly are still off as he's given up 22 walks and 11 home runs in 48 and a third innings. You take a look at his last start that was against the LA Angels. He gave up 5 runs in that one. And for that matter, he's given up 5 plus runs in 4 out of his last 5 starts, and then the other start he wound up giving up 6 hits, 3 walks, did not make it past the 5th, and he was lucky to give up only 2, and the Rangers have lost all 5 of those starts, and in the process, Rangers have given up 5 plus in all of those starts. So, it is not going well. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, this is a team that has struggled a little bit on offense, but Jose Altuve is back in the fold. He and George Springer have been very much up and down so far this year, but how about George Springer starting to come into his own? He winds up hitting his 10th home run of the season on Tuesday. He's hitting a 240 Altuve, only hitting a 220, but you've got quite a few guys on the team that are hitting between, I would say, a 245 and a 265. Martin Maldonado, who also has a 370 on base. Josh Reddick. Yuli Gurriel, Kyle Tucker, along with Alex Bregman are all in that fold, and then you got Michael Brantley hitting above a 300. So you've got some guys who are doing a solid job there. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, there has not been a whole lot solid about this team. Anderson Tejada has been he and Ronald Guzman hitting between a 255 and a 265. But then you've got Sam Buff, Rude Nandor, Joey Gallo, Willie Calhoun, Elvis Andrews, all hitting a 200 or lower. Leonardo Tavares is hitting a 215. You've been able to get Nick Solak going for a 265, and he, Isaiah Kinnear Falefa has been hitting a 3. 20, but this is a Rangers staff that they only got three innings out of Kyle Cody, so they had to use up a lot of their bullpen, including guys like Nick Goody and Martin and company that 
are typically the guys that you look to for some innings for the Houston Astros. Bullpen certainly has been a little bit hit or miss. And for Lance McCullers, he is the textbook definition of hit or miss. 579 ERA despite a 3-2 record and giving up fewer than one home run per nine innings. He just had that terrible game against the Arizona Diamondbacks in which he gave up like eight or nine runs in an inning. You take a look at what he's done recently. He's given up three runs or fewer in four of his last five starts. And in the other side, he wound up giving up approximately four. He's actually been a solid under pitcher recently, but I think that this is the spot in which the Rangers are going to be just getting a little bit shellacked, but I do think that when it comes to the Texas Rangers in general, I think that they're going to have a tough time getting three on the board. So for that reason, I will be taking this total under, hoping for a nine and a half, but if so, I will still take a nine at a plus price. But with that said, also going to be taking a look at the Astros run line. That is more in the neighborhood of between a minus 125 and a minus 130-ish, but I think that there's some good value here. 975, 976 on the betting board is up next. Chicago Cubs are going to be playing against the Cleveland Indians. Aaron Savali is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, John Lester is on the bump for the Chicago Cubs. If you're looking at the Cubs, you're going to be finding them at a little bit of a plus up money underdog here. Anywhere between even money and I'm seeing as high as a plus 114. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Indians, that is anywhere between minus 118 and minus 125. No total on this game as it is at Wrigley. And with John Lester, his last start against the Milwaukee Brewers were terrific, but that's when the Milwaukee Brewers were going up there and they couldn't hit anything to save their lives. I mean, it's just one of these things in which he had a couple good starts for John Lester. It overinflated his numbers. You thought that maybe he was trustworthy. And as Andy Burke said, not so much. Nine home runs, give it up in 46 and a third innings. He's only given up 12 walks, but the swing and miss stuff just is not there anymore. 37 strikeouts in those 46 and a third innings. 505 ERA. Meanwhile, for Savali, he has come back to earth a little bit. He wound up beginning his career with, I believe, 14 straight starts with giving up three earned runs or fewer. He has now given up at least... Four runs in three out of his last five starts, so that certainly has not necessarily been the best for this team. The Indians have began to play a couple more overs, and for Zavali, the big thing with him is that he has now given up a couple home runs recently. He's given up four home runs over his last four starts. He typically does a good job of keeping the ball in the yard, and he certainly has been able to limit the walks. Only 10 walks so far this year and north of 55 innings, so you do like that for the Cleveland Indians. You do have quite a few trustworthy bullpen arms that you're able to rely upon as well. James Karinczak has come back to the back a little bit after a absolutely terrific start. He wound up getting used up on Tuesday, but you are still going to have someone like a Brad Hand who's going to be available, especially if the Indians have a lead. And for the Cleveland Indians, you are starting to get a little bit more when it comes to this offense. Francisco Lindor is hitting at 285, which is absolutely terrific for this team. Jose Ramirez along Cesar Hernandez are both hitting between a 265 and a 275, and Delano D. Shields Jr. has great wheels. He's hitting at 272. You need a little bit more out of Austin Hedges, Sandy Leon, Roberto Perez, Josh Naylor, Carlos Santana, Domingo Santana, list goes on and on of guys are hitting a 220 or lower, but for Carlos Santana, 362 on base despite a 206 batting average for the Chicago Cubs. This offense has not been much to write home about so far this year. Ian App has been the best player on this team, along Jason Kipnis. Both these guys, north of a 370 on base. Both of these guys in between a 267 and a 277. And Jason Hayward, north of a 400 on base, 286 batting average for him. And Cameron Maben has been okay. He, Nico Herner, Victor Carantini, along Willis Contreras, all in between a 242 and a 255. But then you take a look at Billy Hamilton, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant. List goes on and on of guys. They're in a 225 or lower. They're badly overpaid, and they're not necessarily producing. Avi Baez obviously has been a big disappointment as well to a six-panning average 245 on base. And for the Chicago Cubs, the bullpen has been much better recently. I still have my trepidations with guys like Craig Kimbrell and company. Total's going to obviously depend on where this number is set. If you're seeing the wind blowing out and you're seeing a high double-digit number, I'm probably going to wind up taking 
it under. But if you're seeing something more modest, like we wound up seeing on Tuesday, where the total was more in the neighborhood of about eight to eight and a half, I'd probably be looking at that over. But certainly going to be taking the Indians in the spot. 977, 978 on the betting board is up next. Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be hitting the road to face off against the LA Angels. Dylan Bundy is going to be going for the Halos. Meanwhile, Caleb Smith on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Total game is nine unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 overs anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at the LA Angels, you're going to be finding them at right around anywhere between minus 185 and minus 195. Your plus price here with the Arizona Diamondbacks anywhere between plus 160 and plus 172. For Caleb Smith, he wound up making his first start as an Arizona Diamondback a couple days ago. Wound up going three innings. Did not look bad for the team, but certainly a guy that is a little bit rusty as he's pitched six innings so far this year, and he's given up two home runs in the process and seven walks, so obviously that's not necessarily terrific. Alex Young wound up being a long reliever for him in that start. Gotta think that you might be seeing something similar for Alex Young. North of a three ERA, but he's been able to do an okay job when it comes to being able to keep the ball in the yard, and then when you take a look at Dylan Bundy, he's actually been terrific this year. He wound up having a complete game earlier this campaign against the Seattle Mariners. Two earned runs or fewer given up in each out of his last four starts. On one of those starts, he did give up a couple unearned runs, but he's been able to do a good job of limiting the walks as well. One walk given up in three out of his last four starts as well. 13 total walks in 58 innings, and this is someone that's only given up four home runs. That was always his big bugaboo when he was out there with the Baltimore Orioles, with the Angels. They wind up just not getting the start that they had desired on Tuesday to say the least out of one Udio Taran. So as a result, the bullpen had to get seven innings. So that means that guys like Matt Andres, Cam Bedrosian, Mike Myers, a company are going to be out of the fold, but Felix Pena is someone that used to start, so he can probably give the team multiple innings. And when you take a look at the Angels, the lineup has really been able to do a good job. All the top four hitters in this lineup are now hitting a 285 or greater. Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, Jared Walsh, along with David Fletcher. Obviously, with Mr. Trout, he's been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs. You've been able to get something out of Jared Walsh recently as well. I like what he's showing. You do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up. Max Hesse and Albert Poole sitting between a 230 and 235. Then you've got Justin Upton, Luis Rangifo, Anthony Benboom and company. They're in below the Mendoza line, but Andrelson Simmons is back and he's hitting a 300. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a team that despite the fact that they wound up scoring nine runs on Tuesday, this has still been a very hopeless offense. You've got Cole Calhoun, Jose Rojas, along with Dalton Varsho, Eduardo Escobar, Carson Kelly, list goes on and on. If guys are in a 215 or lower, they are trying to get out their guys that at this point pretty much nobody's ever heard of. David Peralta though, he's given the team a 285. Christian Walker more around a 275, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they too had to use up a bunch of their more trustworthy bullpen arms at Hector Rondon and Stefan Kicktrin, so there's not going to be a lot of support for either of these teams at the back end of the bullpen. I do think that this is a spot in which we are going to see quite a few runs, and most of them are going to be scored by the Angels. I'm seeing their run line right around even money, so we're going to be taking a shot on that, and we're going to be taking a look at this total over as well, and we wrap things up with what was supposed to be 979-980 between the San Francisco Giants and the Seattle Mariners. It is now 983-984 as we've had a little bit of a venue shift, it looks like. The Seattle Mariners are technically going to be the home team, but this is going to be a game that is played in San Francisco. And as I'm seeing it right now, it's going to be LJ Newsome who's going to be the starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners and it's going to be Mr. Drew Smiley who's going to be going for the San Francisco Giants. This is going to be very intriguing. When it was Smiley versus Nick Maragavicious, you were seeing a total of 9 on this game, and obviously that was back when it was in Seattle as well. And you were seeing the San Francisco Giants right around a minus 130 favorite. And you were seeing the Seattle Mariners between plus 110 and plus 120. You got to think that the numbers are going to be very similar when it comes to the total. And you got to think that the spread 
probably going to be in that neighborhood. And for LJ Newsome, he hasn't been bad. 324 ERA. He's made two starts. He obviously has not went deep. He's went north of three innings just once in his career between long relief appearances and starts. And he has given up two home runs over the course of eight and a third innings. But by and large, this is someone that you can rely upon to not walk guys. You take a look at his college career. He wound up having, I believe, fewer walks than wins. So, I mean, that tells you all you need to know right there. Meanwhile, Drew Smiley, he hasn't pitched in quite a while, but he is someone that is reacclimating himself back into the fold. He wound up pitching once between August 1st and September the 10th. He is now back, and this is someone that he's able to do a good job with swings and misses, 19 punch outs and 12 and a third innings. In his first appearance back, he gave up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of four long relief innings against the San Diego Padres, so he was able to do a solid job there, but I take a look at the Seattle Mariners, and I do think that there might be a little bit of value here on the scene because now they were able to get a day of rest for a bullpen that has been a little bit up and down. Yoshi Arano and company have been able to do a solid job, but you take a look at what's really been solid for this team. Kyle Seeger along Dylan Moore Ty France and Kyle Lewis at the top. All these guys have a 350 on base or higher, and then you also throw in there Jose Marmolois. He has been able to give this team six home runs, 18 RBI at a Grand Slam a few weeks ago. Tim Lopez, along with Marmolois, hitting between a 255 and a 260. Now, you have a couple guys that they really do need to pick it up when it comes to their batting average. Joseph. Odom, along with Donovan Walton, D. Strange Gordon, Evan White. You could throw out their shed long. You've got a couple guys that are injured, like Braden Bishop and company, hitting a 200 or lower, but you have been able to get a little bit more out of some of the ancillary pieces of this team. And then when you take a look at the flip side for the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that has been just white out when it comes to the offense. They can be a little bit inconsistent. We saw this in their doubleheader against the San Diego Padres on Sunday, but you still have Mikey Stremski along with Darren Ruff, Wilmer Flores, Brandon Belt, Donovan Solano, Evan Longoria, and Mauricio Dubon, all hitting a 278 or higher. And then you've got Joey Bart, Brandon Crawford, Austin Dickerson, hitting between a 260 and a 265. You don't have that one guy that's going to give you like 15 plus home runs, but guys like you, Strumsky, Flores, Belt, and company, they're all giving you a good amount of home runs. And then when you take a look at this Giants bullpen, it has been up and down. You've got Trevor God, who has just been absolutely terrible, but he's on the 10-day injury list, so you actually upgrade them as a result. The Seattle Mariners, aside from J.P. Crawford, who's right now going through a bereavement, they are pretty much locked and loaded at a total of nine in this spot. I probably would be taking a look at the over, and if you're getting a little bit more than a plus 110, I probably would be taking a look at the Seattle Mariners at 110. I might lean towards them a little bit, but I would need to do a little bit more of a search as to what's all going on with this game, because obviously you've got a venue change and everything like that, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at one for set plays there. And that's where you can also ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Podcast. Big thanks to Danny Burke of Beeson for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you have a question for the podcast, you can feel free to fire that into my Twitter timeline, at JRS41. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.